welcome to what we hope is the first, the first of what we plan to be a few Yumehiyun during the course of the year, where we take a topic that we think people are discussing on their own and kind of bring in Talmidei Chachamim and experts to discuss it publicly and to generate further conversation. We think that this topic of Gemara might continue Motzei Shabbos with Rosh Weiss. He would presumably be the last speaker in our extended Yumehiyun, but we'll see that on Motzei Shabbos. Um, I, I find it difficult to ask Mori Varavi Rabbeck to do things. He finds it easy to say no. But luckily for us, this time he said yes for reasons that I still don't understand, and he promised to try to speak personally. So, the Kavod Gadol Rabbeck. The truth is, I've been scratching my head for the last hour. I can't figure out why I agree. <laughs> Suppose, uh, it, it could happen in this yeshiva, that there would be like a yom yun, a, uh, some sort of a shir, devoted to a different topic. In fact, I think it actually does take place. Not for you, but for, for all the guys. Where they have a session to describe uh, what's called an Hebrew zubiyot, to help uh, people, hachanah l'chayim, it's called, mishana hei, shana to... Uh, Discuss the proper attitude and the build of Bayit Neman Israel. And so they wanted to have a certain experts would come to explain the Torah theory, etc., the Rosh Yeshiva. So they would ask somebody like me to come and talk about uh, how much I love my wife. So it would never occur to me for a second to agree to such a thing. It's none of your business. Why would I want to discuss something? Either if, uh, either if you want to ask me why I like uh, why I like chocolate, so that I can maybe discuss. Because it's not... It's not really. It's not really essential. But to actually discuss uh, what, what the word, the word that's used is avat, avat Torah or avat something. How? How? What, why? Why did I agree to this? I really don't know. Is it too late to get out of this? <laughs> there are other people who can speak up by mind. Would you like to uh, share with us some of your? Okay, so what, what, okay, I, I, I agree then, but it's not going to, probably won't be that good. And one of the things that I've uh, discovered about myself at uh, my advanced age is occasionally that there are certain experiences of my youth that I remember. Now, when I say that, it's because there aren't a lot. So therefore, I treasure those that are, that, that are true, and apparently because it made a big impression on me. And so I'm going to tell you something I remember, almost word for word, uh, and for two reasons. One has nothing to do with what we're talking about, and the other one, it, it, it does. Uh, Rabbi say when I was in the Luchas in Shia, 1966, in, uh, in New York, he had a minute once a year of giving a sikha to the Shia about the importance of, 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 uh, of a profession, namely Chinuch. It was a little bit early, we were all Shana Aleph, it was a bit less than Shana uh, but he used to give this. He used to give the sicha, and in the sicha, uh, he quoted a letter written by Rabbi Meli Kaplan, who was uh, he had been the Rosh Yeshiva of Hildesheim in Berlin, at the age of thirty-four, and therefore isn't well known. A letter he wrote to his wife in 1920, uh, when as a very young man, he was about twenty years old. 
he had left the yeshiva, it was World War I, everybody left the yeshiva, but he had left the yeshiva, and he was running around later founding schools. Remember, there was the total destruction of the Eastern European world in, uh, after World War I, and it was a whole new world for other reasons as well. The destruction of the entire old order, and Seonut, and Eretz Yisrael, and everything. And he was, he was founding schools. In order to found schools, he also founded a seminary to teach teachers to be teachers. Because they were founding schools, not Chadarim. It was part of a modern, a modern thing. And so he hadn't been home for a long time. He wrote a letter to his wife. Now, the reason why Luchsi quoted this letter is something, is a different line than the one I want to read. A line that I, since then, I know by heart. Apparently, again, I take it very seriously. If I remember something from 45 years ago, word for word, apparently it was very important in my life. I just want to share that line for you. The Rabbi Melchior writes, after he explains how much he misses, what I want to quote, how much he misses learning Torah seriously, because he's not in Yeshiva anymore. I, I imagine, whatever, he's probably learning every day, uh, or something. But he wasn't learning the way he thought. But he says, but then I say to myself, it's okay, because, I hope you're impressed I'm saying this by heart. I know it by heart, because I heard a Luchas and say it once. A man has to be a very great tzaddik, and a perfect chassid in order to lehakriv al mizbacha Torah et ha-Torah atzma. He was saying that, don't fool yourself. Doing what we're doing, uh, writing curriculums, also mentions raising money, you know, being makdisha tatsmenu, to further the Torah is, 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 is anti-Torah. It's, it's lehakriv et ha-Torah, but adam tzavich yot tzavich et ha-Torah k'deh Torah al ha-Torah atzma. In order to make that statement really significant, he had a haktava where he explained what he's missing. What, 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 what did he lack with? And when Abulkasim read that in Shia, it made it, apparently, it made a tremendous impression on me because I remembered it for years and years and years to the, not word for word, to the extent that years later, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like 30 years later, I wanted to quote it because I remember it was a beautiful description of the experience of learning in Yeshiva, of learning Torah. And then I looked and, you know, it's like, it's only, it's only six words. It's very, very short. Which I'll read it anyhow, because it made a big impression. It made such a big impression on me that I remembered it as being this amazingly beautiful, uh, poetic, uh, poetic thing. And it's not; it's a lot less. But apparently, it made it made the point. So what I'm really saying is that it made an impression on me. But now I'm going to read it to you anyhow. And this is what he wrote to his wife. He said, um, um, "Apparently, he was working really very, very hard." and then a few lines later, he comes back and, and, and he explains what he meant. He said, it's true that this is also Torah what I'm doing. I'm, uh, I'm writing a curriculum for the fourth grade. And he was saying for Torah. But he said, but it's not the same. Sof, sof. Ein kan makom lechol oto ha-miktsoa. Ha-rachav v'hanaor ha-kabir v'hanizgav. I'm out of I'm out of English synonyms. What I'm doing now, where is... That Miktsawa Rachav bin wide and enlightened, Kabir bin Nizgav, Kabir, majestic and Nizgav, elevated, transcendent. Shir Nikralo Lomdus. 
אותו הטיול הנהדר בסירת מחשבתי על גלי ים התלמוד ומפער סב. That's the whole line. He says, I remember the loveness that I did in Yeshiva, which I'm happy not doing now. It was like a tiyul, a wonderful tiyul, tiyul in, a, in, the, in the rowboat of my mind on the waves of the Yam HaTalmud. I was very surprised when I read this ten years ago. I thought, I remember as being this long description of the beauty and the joy and the fantasticness of, of true loveness as opposed to learning just Tafiomi uh, for, for an hour date, end of the day. And all it is is a one line. despite my youth, I was 16 at the time, apparently the one line of did encapsulate something that I was experiencing at that point. I had entered a Lichensin Shir that year. Uh, before that I learned in high school. I have to give a little Akdama, so you shouldn't think that, uh, that, uh, that I'm a famous... Uh, I'm a famous rabbi. My, my, my youth was like your youth. Uh, except for the fact that I was not a Yankee fan. Uh, other than that, my youth was like your youth. I was a kid in New York. There might be some difference because every generation is a little bit different. So my father's youth was different than your father's youth. So maybe something was carried over. My father was born in Europe. My grandfather was a rabbi. But, but still, I, I went to... I'll tell you the truth. I went to, I went to a co-ed uh, elementary school. And I went to co-ed camps, and the camp was even Shoma Shabbos, and we had a good time. We played baseball and basketball and tennis, and, uh, and there were no computers yet, so... And so, I, but I was a good, I, I, I was a good student. I, I, uh, in high school, I, I, I learned well, and I was allowed to enter a Lichtenstein Shir, which was the first year Shir, Shana Lich Shir in NYU, when I was 16 years old. But, okay, that was the first time that I met... So I don't even, I can't tell you what happened, how, I remember being amazed, okay? I remember being uh, turned on, as you would say. And a few months later, I don't know the exact date, but a few months later, his line, as part of, because he was going someplace else, but he read this, this one line, and somehow these words, they, 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 they didn't teach something I didn't know. They apparently encapsulated something that I only felt then. The reason why I remember it is because it really encapsulated something which apparently I was beginning to feel at that age. And so if I want to think a little bit now, together with you, as to really what, what the Vahadma Elia was here was, was trying to say, why would you compare uh, what he's doing, what he was doing when he was a Talmud learning seriously, Lambdas, learning Gemara, learning Be'iyu, learning, really trying to understand something. It's a tiyum nehedal b'sirat machshati al-galei yama talmud. So I imagine, this I have to imagine because I have done it, there are probably people in the world who would have a similar experience on a real uh, sailboat on the seas. There's, I know this from literature. I have never tried this, nor do I plan to. But uh, you can read in literature about the <coughs> special attraction. There's something about the person goes out to sea sailboat, the wideness, the expanse, the endlessness, the feeling that you can go wherever you want, there's a, it's historical, there's a, for the, in the human culture, there's the excitement of the sea that caused people to who feel that the, the, the world on the land is somehow closing in on you, but when you're out on the sea, you're a master of everything you survey, there's a poem like that someplace, and the truth is I once sat with a Lichtenstein on a porch in a hotel in Gush Katif, 
לשעבר, שייבנה ויכונן בימי ימינו אמן. Used to be a Jewish hotel, used to be a Jewish place called Gush Katif. And there was a Jewish hotel there, and Yeshiva was there, Yeshiva, the Rambam was there for Shabbos. And we got there early, and we were sitting Friday afternoon on the porch looking at the waves coming in. I've always been fascinated by waves. And so we're looking at the talk, I said, to look, I said, how come in, in Chazal you don't find ever, as far as I can remember, this theme of the attraction of the sea, which is found in, in Greek literature a lot. So you say Greeks were an island... Uh, uh, a, a water-bound culture, but so were the Jews, more or less. They want a new shalai, but they don't want the shpela. And you don't find it. And his answer was, it's a really brilliant answer, his answer was, I don't know. Uh, but there is this, uh, I thought I would get a better response. Uh, there is this, this, this thing, and so, so here with Ayam Eliyah, who had never been on a boat in his life, I mean, the man lived in Kovna, but, but he knew, he understood the expression. And so he says, when he learns he has this, this um, learns really, not like he's learning now. When he learns belongness, it's this feeling of tiyul nehedam besirat machshavti agale yamatamudu mechosav. And I imagine, I, I imagine that it, I then understood it. Now I'm trying to understand it with uh, less youth and less, maybe less instinct. And there's a difference between saying, let's learn Rebbe Kiyas again. Like, to me, what's learning Rebbe Kiyas? There's even saying, okay, I need to read these two lines. I read these two lines. And I understand them. I'm not an idiot. I have to understand them. I need to know the halacha, so I look it up in Shulchan Aruch. I need to, uh, whatever. I, I want to master a given, a given question. I need to know the answer to this question. It might even take a lot of work. I'm not saying it's easy. If to answer certain question, I want to know whether it's mutter to use a, uh, a a new newfangled computer switch to run a refrigerator that has a newfangled kind of compressor. It might take me a month to get the answer, but I'm, I'm saying I'm trying to figure out the answer to a particular question. So that's not what he's describing here. That's not going out on a boat on an endless expanse of water where the left, the right, the ends of the world, you don't see the end, you don't see the beginning, you can go any place you want, and you don't see anybody else, and all you can see is that you are the master of your fate, holding onto the tiller of your sailboat, turning wherever you go, in, in, into the wind and against the wind. It's, he was describing learning Belundus as something else entirely. It's Obviously, when you learn any given line, you want to solve the problem that's in front of you. But your ultimate goal here is to simply explore. Your ultimate goal is to explore the endless. It's a feeling that he's expressing here, which I, I think at the age of 16 I already felt. Even though I knew less than you did then. I learned uh, the Sacha called uh, 10 blood of my life. Uh, 15 blood of my life in four, three years in high school. But, but the beginning of a feeling that you're setting out on an adventure to conquer the unconquerable, <coughs> or to explore a world without limits, of which it's totally in your hands because you hold the tiller of this boat. On the other hand, I can add things I don't know we felt or not, but when you're out, he mentions that it's a Galeyama Talmudu Mithrasad, which means the, the, the wind in the sails. So it's not always in your hands. There's also storms, there are also things which could turn your boat over. But you're, you're out there, it's just you against the elements. Have you ever read The, uh, the Old Man in the Sea? Or, or that kind of theme that's found in, 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 in literature about real seas and real sailors and real goyim. Uh, and Jews do the same thing intellectually. The sirat machshafti. You're setting out not to solve a problem because, okay, we all have to know what to do in Shabbos, so I need to know how electricity works. It's a very important thing to do. But here he's saying something else. He says, that will continue doing because he needs to do it all the time. But, but where is that world that I call Lundus? world that, 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 that filled my youth when I was a Tamil in Yeshiva, where I was just sailing on the endless sea, no bounds, no boundaries, 
no, no definitive guide. You don't have to go down this road and turn left, uh, which, by the way, may not be the experience that's what you have in yeshiva, because yeshiva tends to guide you very well because you have too many mamakamas. But I was a Talmud of Lichensinshe, we didn't have mamakamas. He said, learn the sugya. Uh, and that's so you came in, you realize you had to. Uh, but that's what it was. Every day was setting out on the boundless sea to discover what's on the other side beyond the view of the horizon. If we go 10 miles further, so the horizon will open up in front of us. You thought you get into a goal, but there is no goal. You go 10 miles, and the world is curved, and all of a sudden you see that there's another 10 miles ahead of you, and then you begin to realize that after those 10 miles, and there's more 10 miles. Okay, that's my first, uh, my first memory. What does it mean exactly? Not sure. You have to think about it. Uvda, that I remember the flavor. Secondly, the other sentence I quoted, I remembered it word for word. This sentence, I didn't remember it word for word. I remember the flavor, and somehow I was even disappointed that there were more words. He didn't write it better. But the flavor that was expressed there, apparently, at the age of 16, made a very big impression on me. If I've already gone that, back, that far back, so the truth is, and I, and I don't know the reason why, but many of my early childhood <laughs> memories, or a number of my early childhood memories, are really concerned with, uh, with learning, which actually surprises me, because I didn't learn that much. In seventh grade, that's pretty, that's pretty young. Uh, seventh grade, uh, when I was, I skipped the middle of sixth grade, I skipped the seventh grade. Uh, There's a different world today. I think today, if you skip, it means because you're bright. Uh, I skipped because the teacher couldn't stand me. And someone went, they, they already told me out of the school twice. <laughs> someone suggested that, oh, if you give him a more difficult class, maybe he'll, you know, uh, less interfere. So they tried it out. Uh, and since the, I didn't like the teacher, so I could read. But anyway, they skipped into seventh grade. We always started learning Gemara in sixth grade. I learned a month or two of Gemara. And seventh grade, they were, they were learning. They were learning Farrakhan Afki, Siri's uh, So I used to learn Friday nights with my older brother, first of all, just to catch up, to begin the parak. And two, to get a little more, uh, he would explain to me what I didn't know was going on. Uh, so that I actually don't, I remember that it happened, but I don't remember the experience. But I remember one time my grandfather came to visit, I don't remember why, and I had a kasha on a telsus in Hamafki. So the truth is, today, I think back, do kids in 7th grade learn Tosmos? We have Tamidim in, in, in 11th grade who haven't opened the Tosmos yet. But then, and, and I don't think I went to, to the Geva Shtibu for, for to learn Shemara. I was learning in a, in a co-ed school, 7th grade. Okay, but we learned Tosmos. And so I, I had a kasha, I had a kasha on Tosmos. Not even 7th grade, I had a kasha on Tosmos. So I remember asking my grandfather, and I remember him answering me, which was very impressive to me. My, my grandfather was one of the Dolayadon. And then I went the next day, and I told that to my teacher in seventh grade, Rabbi Spiro. And he looked and he said, your grandfather couldn't have said that. That makes no sense. So I argued with him. I don't know the right answer. I don't remember which Tosos it was. I don't know who was right. I don't know whether I misquoted my grandfather, probably. Uh, but I remember, what do I remember here? I remember the, 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 from that whole year, that's the only learning experience I remember, <coughs> including the mission. Mafkid, something or other. Uh, I don't think I've learned the Mafkid since then. Mafkid, in my days, you only, you only learned the Mafkid in seventh grade. After that, you learned better numbers. Uh, so, but what do I remember now? I remember arguing about a process. I remember that. I thought I was very perfect when I had a kasha. But I didn't just know to say Tosa said. At the age of 11, 12, I was 12. At the age of 12, at the age of 11, the age of 11 I was able to have a kasha on a process. And so that I can argue with my because they would be called a medi, we call them a uh, about what's the vibe shot in Tosas. Uh, why do I remember that? Why do I remember that? How come I don't remember the, uh, the first time I, uh, the first time I sank a foul shot? And, so, it's more significant about that. I can't even explain it, but there's something, if 
you want to know how I was educated. So that experience apparently left a uh, left a more serious impression than uh, many other things. I, I do have other things as well. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I, I do remember being thrown out of sixth grade, and um, I do remember the time when the kid who I sat next to in fifth grade chased me around the park with a rock in his hand trying to break my head and me running away because I could run faster than him and laughing the whole time saying so he won't catch me. I do remember other things as well. But I also remember Tosfos like on the base of some I know it's a map because that's what we learned but it's an Ahmed base of some daf in Baba Metziah approximately one or two no, two or three Tosfos him down on the page. Maybe if I saw it today I would realize the Tzuvat Adaf maybe not. And I don't remember the Tosfos but I remember the the, 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 the psychological, intellectual excitement of not understanding the Tosos, but taking it apart. And that's what I think also about an Elgi here is describing in the, in the Sivat HaMachshavti Agadei Yama Tamudu Mufasa. And the truth is, if we're already going back to early childhood, I don't know how much early childhood is worth, things which uh, psychologists uh, think are really important. And but at the age of eight, I was at a food suda with my family, and I said my first about Torah. It was so good that I remember it to this day. It wasn't good enough for me to say over, because uh, you won't think it's that good. But I had a really deep thought on, uh, on why, at the end of the Megillus Esther, it says the very last time that Achashverosh's name is mentioned, so it's written, Nechbib Achashverosh, without two votes. Two votes are missing. There's a... Uh, I once read an article in some intellectual journal that claimed what it says is that So it's a very formal statement. So he claimed that that's a quote from the official uh, annals of the Persian royalty. They just, they, just, they just lifted it out of the, uh, the, uh, out of the law book. Achashverosh <coughs> in Persian it's a very difficult name to mention. Most uh, authorities think that Achashverosh in Greek is called Xerxes, which was an effort by the Greeks to, to get his name. His name doesn't have the Aleph in the beginning. Jews add Alephs for things they can't pronounce. His name was really Achashverosh. Uh, and so they wrote it the way it was spelled, which was without the Vavs. The, the Achashverosh just an attempt to add more things. But that's not what I answered. I had a much better answer based on Gematria, which I'm not going to tell you. Uh, when I was 16, as I mentioned, when I was 6 and 8, the Lachas Yenshin. It was an experience. And I'm not sure how many experience is, just because he was one of the Gdol Yadav. He wasn't really one of the Gdol Yadav yet, he was only an up-and-coming Gdol Yadav. And I, I don't think that he damaged it, because how much did I really catch that day? And, but the, what made a special difference, and this happened to different people at different ages, it doesn't work when you're 10, it happened at, at, at different points, was the sudden opening of, of windows that I didn't know existed beforehand. I had a very good education. I learned in a good yeshiva. In, 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 in a good yeshiva. We learned really well. We learned, you know, Rashi, we learned Tosas. We, we also argued. We learned Tosas. We learned, we learned even learned Marashas, which I never learned afterwards. And there was a lot of, you know, argumentation, pilpul, etc. Uh, but I do remember this, this, this idea that the, the feeling after a week or two weeks or three weeks, I find Rosh Hashanah rolled around three weeks in, 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 into the school year, I had this, this, uh, this feeling that, like, we weren't learning the same thing anymore. And again, that's sort of the feeling I think the Rebbein is saying, that you know, all of a sudden it's not a closed, it's this huge, wide, 
expression Yama Talmud, that he mentioned, he, he made up Yama Talmud as an old, 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 old expression in Yiddishkeit to describe the Talmud, which most people think just means that there's a lot, <laughs> as opposed to uh, Shulchan Aruch, which is four volumes, so Shas is 20 volumes. That's why it's called Yama Talmud. So what Rabbi Mel is saying, it's more than that. It's an experience, and I think that was really the experience that I had then, and, and I imagined to myself, trying to analyze yourself is a, is a mistake, but, but, but I imagine that that had a lot to do with my subsequent development. Not just that, there's, not just I discovered there's more to learn, but that it's a different kind of learning when you're, when you're viewing things that are endless and open and wide open, and the further you get into it, the more further you have to go, which was a very, very important part of the shir that I was in, because that's what happened all the time. You ask a kasha, you give an answer. The answer was right, but then there'll be another kasha. In other words, the tool, the difference between lambdas and real lambdas, and not just physical lambdas, but lambdas in general, and just, you know, what does this mean? And getting the right answer, you a kasha tells us about that. So what does the mashah really say? The difference is that the really good answers provide more questions. They just, they just lead you on. They don't, they don't, you, don't, you don't finish it. Because you have a good kasha and a good teretz, that's... That's not a reason to close the book. That's not a reason to close the book. It doesn't mean to close the book. You could have closed the book before you asked it. But now, you can't close the book because you're really good terror. It's all of a sudden changes your understanding of everything else. You have to go on. And that's the idea of the Yama Talmud, the opening up. That I'm fairly certain, because Rabbi Weber made me think about it, I'm certain that that was really the turning point, an important turning point in my attitude and my connection to learning, because learning became something else. It's a difference between Seems to be learning other things than learning Gemara, and seems to be between, as Rabbi Meir says, between learning Gemara and learning Iyun learning Lambdas Gemara, which isn't just better, it's not just deeper, it's not just, it's, it's a different kind of adventure. Now, I have to point out something which will be an introduction to a second, to a second part. When you talk about the, 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 the very model, the very metaphor of being on a rowboat in the Yama Talmud, elicits within us the idea that enjoyment or of a very or a ple- or, or an exciting experience. I, just, I imagine, again, I've never tried this, I don't quite to try it, but if I was out there on this boat sailing, the wind in my back and the tiller in my hand and the seagulls at forehead, if I really liked that kind of stuff and wasn't terrified out of my uh, life by the fact that I'm about to drown, I would, I would enjoy it. It would be something really exciting. And but if you talk about Abbas Torah, there's another, there's another side, which in the end I think is really more important. And in fact, not that the first side isn't true, but the second side is more important. When you talk about Abba in general, so today we tend to concentrate, because whenever, when we say the word love, the first thing we think of is the movies we've seen about human love. And so the first thing we think about, overwhelming amount of literature, cinema, and, and literature, is the experience, the enjoyability of the experience, the excitement of the experience. Somebody falls in love, takes a walk on the beach, the sunset is setting, and, and, and you're just filled with this, with these amazing, and, and the background music is, is uh, Beethoven's Ninth, something really, really exciting, or the uh, 1812 Overture. And there's another side to talk about Ava, which is much more prosaic, undoubtedly less exciting, and, and to the modern mind might be seen as being the opposite. And that is, love is not an experience. Love is a, is a da'aga. It's a care. When you love somebody, you take care of them. The act of taking care may not be exciting. It'll probably be very prosaic and even, even tiring and wearying. Afterwards, you realize that you did something. 
But, but being in love with somebody is not experiencing them and, and enjoying it. And therefore, now, what he's describing, learning Torah makes me feel really good, makes me feel really excited. I, I feel enlightened. I feel better. I feel smarter. I feel, I feel closer to Kodesh All things are feelings that I experience because I've learned Torah. But Avas Torah is more than that. Avas Torah, just like Ava Acheret, is a feeling of obligation to take care of something. And that's something which I can't say for sure when I began to experience. I, I would imagine that it was part of my early experiences here, but I can't pinpoint it as well. But the idea is, if things are simply, I really enjoy doing this. Even things I enjoy a really a lot. You come to a certain point. I had an experience this week which is actually depressing because it makes me question my avasana. There was a time till about the uh, Six or five or six years ago, where the virtual Beit Midrash, which I uh, which I run, uh, I also used to run. In other words, uh, the, the the website I had written most of it myself, and when things needed to be done, including using uh, computer skills to uh, to code something, I used to code it myself. You ask, <coughs> how could I do that? I do not know anything about computers. The, the answer is, you don't need to know a lot about computers. About computers, Baruch Hashem, there's a I have a very good advisor who's my my uh, my assistant. His name is Google. You ask him a question, he tells you exactly what to write. You don't have to understand anything. But I used to, so I used to solve a lot of problems that way, and there was no one else to do it, so I did it myself. And I enjoyed it. No question about it. I had a good time. The last five years, I haven't done that because the site is too complicated. We have professionals now doing it. So I have, therefore, more time to learn Torah, and I spend less time fooling around the computers. Yesterday, for various reasons, I wanted to describe. The last two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, there was something which needed to be done, and I decided to do it myself. I forgot how to do it, so it took me eight hours instead of the two hours it should have taken. But in the end, and nothing worked, so I kept hacking and you kept banging until it got it to work. And in the end, I actually spent six and a half hours or seven hours, which is really a big waste of time, just to get one little thing to work. I asked myself how I did that. I'm not a big master. Tell me to spend seven hours preparing for share. In the middle, I need to go for a cup of coffee which, or a cup of tea. I need to take a, a, cup, I need to take a cookie. I need to stop walking around the base meditation, but then I'm learning. So just to, just to get my knees to move. And here I sat my seven hours just uh, stop getting a uh, getting a short uh, piece of code to work and the answer was because it was really enjoyable the idea of at least to me I imagine this is true for all the crazy people who, who waste their lives on computers the idea is that it doesn't work and you get it to work you, you, you change one line of code and that's the problem including idiocies like I left out the semicolon or whatever those things at the end you have this rush of, of, of achievement and many people have really described that of Chastei Kreskos, Dorei Philosophy, the Mayor Benayim, says that Yismach Hashem b'Maasav. He says real simcha is when you want something and it was difficult to achieve and you figured it out. And he says, for instance, intellectually that happens when you have a difficult problem. He says, you have a difficult problem and, and you break in, you fill it up. There's this rush of sensual enjoyment because you've solved the problem. Now, the reason was depressing to me is because I asked myself, but then I really enjoy it. No, I, I right away noticed the similarity. I said, well, this is similar to solving a difficult drama. And I even have a terrorist. The terrorist is that if you solve a difficult drama, you're not really sure you solve it. It's still, there's always a little bit of a question left. But here I really solved that computer question. I really mastered it. It works. Well, it turned out in the morning something didn't work. But, 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 uh, but 99% worked. Somebody pointed out that it only worked for some people. Not others. But it worked. It was the drama. I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm I feel great, but I'm almost certain. So I really had a question myself. Well, what do you think? I love Torah. I love anything. I love anything where, where you give me a problem. I can solve it. I'm that kind of a person. You'd be asking right now how to, uh, how to get from here to, uh, 
to the Kfar Etzor, without going to the Tzobet, I'll probably also crack my head open, because if I can solve it, it'll be really exciting. Those of you who want to know, you go through Muhammad's house and then make a left turn and then you come out the other side and you can be there and you don't have to go through the Tzobet many times when there's a, uh, there's a traffic jam. So there's another side to the entire question. All the, it's all true. Yes, there's definitely a common psychological human experience of, of cracking problems, and Lomdus is full of cracking problems. There's more problems because it's a big, big yam as we described, and it's not that different. Maybe there's a special spiritual enjoyment there, but I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But there's another aspect to love, and that is the da'agalde, being taken care of something. And here, there's a huge difference. If, if I hadn't solved this problem in the computers, it would be okay. So we get someone else to solve it. And if no one else to solve it, so we wouldn't have done what we were going to do. It wasn't that important. It wasn't that there was something was, the, the, the thing that was broken wasn't that terrible that it was broken, that I needed to solve it. I'm not that committed, not that committed to getting this particular code to work. But when you, when you have a real avat or something, so you have this commitment to get it to work, you have this commitment to make sure that it's okay. My wife broke her leg two years ago. Obviously, I didn't set it. It was a doctor who said it, but you think I let him set it by himself. But I, until he threw me out, I held it over him. Because it was my obligation to set her leg. I just needed a shliach. And I was the one who brought her the food every night because she couldn't get out of bed. And I'm the one who made her the cup of coffee. I don't know how to make a cup of coffee. I had to look it up, by the way, Google. I looked up on, you don't believe me, do you? I looked up on the internet how to make a cup of coffee because I didn't think she was making it the right way. I thought I could do a better job. She said, I didn't. I said, I did. How could you not like coffee with ice cream in it? I don't know. <laughs> she said it was good without the ice cream. Torah, if you love Torah, you have an obligation to redeem Torah from the, from the, from the dust in which it's found. If there's a difficult Rambam, that Rambam is crying. If there's a Gemara that hasn't been understood infinitely deeply, the Gemara is crying. Someone has to, it's there so we can, it's there so we can redeem it, so that we can take it out of the dust. It's there so that we can understand it. And here, Dr. because it's the expanse of the sea, there's always so many things that need to be taken care of. There's so many different commerce, there's so many difficult things that aren't understood well enough. Even things which are understood, they're not understood well enough. They're not understood by you, they're understood differently by somebody else. And that thing that you get up in the morning, and it's waiting for you to fix, it's waiting for you to conquer, it's waiting for you to solve. That's something which makes a difference. I, I, I'm pretty sure that if it's only how much, in Hebrew you say, kef, how much it's enjoyable. So, well, first of all, some days yes, some days no. I mean, you know, that's obviously true. That's what's called yeshiva samashbe. It goes up and it goes. But even aside from some days, I think in the end it's going to be less. Uh, after a while, you know, okay, any enjoyment, it, 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 it wears off. But obligation, commitment, never wears off. Because cause that's what commitment means. It's an ethical commitment to make something better. And, and there's, always, there's always more to do. That kind of commitment of, of learning Torah is something which I hope, I think, uh, I have achieved, I have uh, experienced to some small extent, and, and probably on a day-to-day basis, more motivates me to, uh, to learn the next line in the Gemara, uh, motivates me more than how much will I get out of it, not in a selfish uh, I'm going to get out of it in a, a spiritual sense. I'm not sure how much that can still motivate me at my age. But what I'm pretty sure motivates me is that there's still a masech that I haven't learned. There's still a line in the... There's still a line in the van, which I have to talk about in 10 minutes, that I haven't figured out. And, and I hope nobody here is going to be in chair because I plan to sort of wing it and make it. 
that obligation is the difference between something that's interesting, something that you enjoy. There are many things. This really, I don't think you have to be embarrassed to say I enjoy geography as much as I enjoy Brachas. Everyone's different. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a chisar. It might be a mistake, but it's not a chisar. The commitment to express one's love, to, be, to make a commitment, to, to say with the Russian of Chazal is that, is that Hasinai was Nisuin. Hasinai was, 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 was Eusin. <coughs> you, you, you commit yourself to Torah. Torah commits itself to you. Kashbohu commits itself to you. We commit ourselves to Kashbohu. We commit ourselves to take care of something, to make sure that we're going to do better, to, 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 to fix the problems, to, to fix the, whatever needs to be fixed, to master whatever needs to be mastered. And, and in the end, I think it's probably also part of the same simile. You, you're sailing on the seas because you want to be master of the seven seas. You, want to, you, you need to find what's on the other side of the seven seas, and not just to sit and swing with the waves because it's a nice, it's a nice wind. It's, it's a challenge. And the challenge obligates me because I'm committed to meeting all that, 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 that it affects. So again, if, uh, if, if uh, someone expe- expected me to somehow to explain or to even remember where I began to understand or feel uh, or experience that sort of a thing, I can't really say for sure. In any event, if I did explain it, it wouldn't do any good. I don't think that uh, my personal explanations of anything, my own experience, could be simply reduplicated by anybody else because I'll say, okay, it doesn't work that way specifically because of what I just said. It could be that experiences I can explain to you. If I told you that, uh, that eating ice cream is pleasurable, you have eaten ice cream, so you would try it. You discovered it was pleasurable. My pleasure and your pleasure in ice cream are very, very similar. The commitment is personal. Because my commitment to Torah is not your commitment to Torah. So all I can do is say that it's an essential element in the, in the experience of Avas HaTorah and Shlitas HaTorah and learning Torah. It's especially, you understand automatically, that that's part of what we call love and, 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 and Gemara. It doesn't have the same, it doesn't, the, the, the challenge, the need to fix what needs to be fixed, the need to understand that which hasn't been understood yet. It doesn't exist in more closed areas of Torah. Toshav Bechtav is closed, whereas Toshav Bechtav is always open, so there's always the, the next sea to conquer. And so you should know that it exists. And uh, one way or another, I don't have any particular patent, uh, no particular recipe, how to find it, or how to achieve it, or how to commit oneself to it. But you know it's there. I think that uh, the eyes will be more open, perhaps the hearts may open. There's no doubt in my mind, no doubt whatsoever simply set me down at any given age and said, here's a Gemara, learn it, I would not have achieved it. It needed my exposure to the great people who are my rebellion. And I saw what, when you see a person on the, holding the tiller of the ship in front of you, it gives you some idea, you still have to do it yourself, but it gives you some of, 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 of what the possibilities are. So then, perhaps, uh, my describing, uh, my attempt at describing my limited ability, my own experiences, might be of some, uh, might be of some help. And, and thank you for listening. And thank you for everyone for making me do this because I wouldn't have thought otherwise. And you're right. I'm not going to do it again, so don't bother. <laughs>